Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. I'm just so happy to see everybody. Amen. Thank you for being here. I know this is the last weekend before school starts. And thank you for being home and, and uh, being in church this morning. Luke chapter 15, and we begin reading uh, in verse 11, and we'll read through verse 14. And he said, this is the Lord now speaking and teaching and telling a parable to try to relate biblical principles and, and uh, spiritual principles to his uh, audience, his following. He said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. I want you to notice that last phrase. He began to be in want. And I want to speak this morning on this subject, the blessing of want. The blessing of want. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for your people that have gathered to exalt you and to lift up the name of Jesus. I ask you, Lord, that you would anoint our hearts and minds to receive your word. Anoint our lips to speak, Lord, with boldness, without fear or favor. We'll give you praise for all things. Everybody said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. A story that we read a portion of here in this text is the parable that Jesus was giving in his teaching. It's commonly referred to as the story of the prodigal son, a young man who is well into his young adult life, is desiring uh, to uh, just sort of uh, do his own thing, you know, and go to a different place and be with different people. And, you know, he's kind of wanting to party. And, of course, you know, he needs money to sort of finance his, his ambitions and wants to go on a, on a fun spree, you know. And so he asks his father for an advance on his inheritance. He says, now, Dad, you've got two sons, and I know that you have worked hard and you have built up a certain amount of wealth and, and that one day you will give that to my brother and I, but I don't want to wait, you know, until I'm old and you die and I want my inheritance now. I, I want to be able to take it now and I want to be able to do something with it now. Now, he probably did not tell his father at that point that he was going to spend his inheritance on riotous living. He probably explained to his father that he wanted the money now so that he could invest it and so that he could take it and do something wise with it. And I can just hear the story as my imagination is going at this very moment. He probably told his dad that he was going to use this money for some charitable cause that he wanted to invest in whatever the excuse, whatever the reason, maybe he didn't. Maybe he just said, I want what's mine and I want it now. Whatever he did, the father gave in to the request and gave the boy the money. Now, when you and I look at this decision, we think, well, the father made a mistake. There's a reason why you don't give a minor too much money. We've seen that. When they give 50 million, 100 million, 150 million, to these athletes who are still, you know, 
got uh, some emotional maturing to do, and they give them all this money, they oftentimes get in trouble and drugs and blah, blah, blah. So there's a reason why they have all these trust funds and all these, you know, contingent remainders and all these um, financial vehicles that are created to hopefully help young people once they reach a certain age. But there's a lot of good reasoning to not giving a whole bunch of money to a person too young just because it's easy to do the wrong things with that money. And so you and I can look at this decision. We can think, well, the father made a mistake. But I don't believe, since Jesus was telling this story, I don't believe that Jesus was telling it in the context that the father made a mistake. Because what I think Jesus was telling us is that this is how God has been with humanity. God has blessed us when we certainly didn't deserve it. There is nothing that we had done that would warrant him blessing us with this inheritance. You say, well, one day we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to walk on streets of gold and gates of pearl. They're going to open up and, and we're going to have walls of jasper around us and mansions. And, and that's true. But you know what, folks? Every day the Lord gives us a little bit, a little taste of that inheritance. Hallelujah. He gives us a little bit to let us know it's going to be better and better. It's going to be sweeter and sweeter. And you say, but you know, pastor, I still got a lot of problems. I know we all do. Everybody's got their cross they're carrying. But you know what? Every day with the Lord is better than a day without him. Your worst day with God is better than your best day without him. And we don't deserve it, but the Father has given to us. He trusted us. I mean, if you go all the way, you start from the very beginning, whenever he gave mankind free will. Okay? He gave us free will. Now, when God gave humanity free will from the very first creation of Adam, he gave us free will. Man can do what they want to do. They can make their own decisions and their own choices. That was a powerful gift that was given to us at a very early age, if I can say it that way, in the terms of the age of humanity. And so when God did that, God understood he's God, that there was going to be, you know, people that made wrong choices and wrong decisions. But the Father gave us that ability, knowing that there was a strong possibility that we would do the wrong thing with it. But he gave it anyhow. And then when the children of Israel wanted to be delivered from Egypt, he delivered them from Egypt. Knowing that when they went out in the desert, there was going to be all kinds of things and problems. And they were not, you know, really mature enough in terms of their own spirit to be able to handle the freedom of being out of Egypt. But yet he gave it to them. And then after they got all through that, and what all went on in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they finally came over the Jordan River and they conquered Jericho. And they start to set up the land and the prophets that go forth that tell them, here's what God is saying. Then they said, we want to have a king like everybody else. Now, God knew that when they got a king, there was going to be problems that came with having a king. And he told Samuel, Samuel, they've not rejected you. They rejected me. Guess what God did? He gave them a king. God will give you what you want. So make sure you want the right stuff. This boy takes the money and heads to Las Vegas or whatever the biblical equivalent. And the, while the money is flowing, <laughs> everything is fun, seemingly. But when the money runs out, the friends run out. 
The boy is left with nothing. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, his father is still praying for him every day, running out of the house every day, looking down the street, down that dusty trail, wondering if this would be the day that his son would come home. But every day, no younger son. I don't know how long he'd stand out there and watch. I don't know if he'd walk down a ways and look around the bend. But he knew one day that boy was going to come home. Oh, I want to tell somebody today, don't quit praying. He said, I never thought my son wouldn't be serving God. He may not be right now, but as long as there's life, there's hope, don't ever quit praying. Don't ever quit believing. Every day you got to get up. This could be the day that God brings my son home. This could be the day that God restores my family. This could be the day. Don't ever give up. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Vegas, the boy turns the corner, if not spiritually, at least a corner in his humanity. Bible says that he spent all and you will spend it all. And there was a famine in the land. Now this is interesting to me because this is a combination of bad decisions and a bad environment. How many of you know when it rains, it pours? I mean, when things go bad, they go bad in a hurry. Most crisis points are the result of more than just one problem. It's usually the merger of more than one thing happening. Most planes that go down are not the result of one problem. It's usually a combination of things. Life has a way of throwing you unfair combinations of things that just seem to overwhelm you. And the, and the problems, we look at all of them and we say, well, why am I, why am I going through this? It, not only did I run out of money, but now there's a famine in the land. Not only are things bad with me personally, but my whole environment is messed up. And we don't oftentimes think about it this way, but the problems are there for our benefit. We don't see the problems as a blessing in disguise. We think God is punishing us. But really, He's trying to create a spiritual appetite. Verse 13, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and journeyed into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living and when he had spent all there rose a mighty famine in that land and he began he began to be in want. Now, he's not out in the woods yet. He's still in the world. He still backslid. He still thought the bright lights of Hollywood was the better life. But at least he was hungry. I believe that where we are, even as a nation, is that God is putting us in a place where your unsaved loved ones Friends and neighbors are going to start to get a spiritual appetite. 
because this world has got to realize that it's not in a riotous living, that it's not in how much you can get and how fast you can get it and who you can step on and how many ladders you can climb and how much money you got in your bank account. None of that stuff's going to matter. When it all dries up, you're going to see revival because people are going to be in want. And I've come today to tell this great church uh, there is a blessing in being in war. There is a blessing in saying, I'm tired of living this way. There is a blessing in saying, I want more out of life. I want more. There's got to be more to it than just living from paycheck to paycheck. From drink to drink. From drug to drug. From one bad relationship to another. God is going to give us an appetite. And it says here, this is the thing I can't get away, to, away from. He began, the whole thing hadn't culminated yet. There was still a lot of work to be done, but he began to be in want. What a blessing it is to have hunger. We live in a world where we're always trying to suppress our hunger. There's more pills and vitamins and Walgreens that say hunger, or no, it says appetite suppressors. And we're all trying to figure out a way to control our hunger for food. But we'd all be in trouble, ladies and gentlemen, if we did not have a hunger for food. Last week when I was preaching Brother Tom Bush, he was telling me about his bout with throat cancer five years ago. He said, I didn't know. I knew there was something growing back there. I didn't know what it was. I went to the doctor. The doctor looked in it no longer in about five seconds. He looked at it, pushed his chair back, folded his arms, and said, all right, here's what you got. You got stage two throat cancer. You got a 30% mortality rate. You got a 70% uh, chance of survival. We're going to have to get it out. We'll probably do it next week. My nurse will uh, set up the details for you. Do you have any questions of me? He said, my whole life flashes in front of my eyes. And he said, he's out the door. And he said, I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> then he went through all the different things, you know, and they said, here's what we're going to do. We got to do radiation. We got to do chemo and we got to do all these things. He said, man, I, did, I don't know whether or not I want to do radiation and chemo. He said, I'm trying to decide whether or not I should do radiation and chemo. Your mom calls me up and she says, Tom, I heard you're thinking about not doing chemo. He said, well, uh, yes, ma'am, I'm trying to. She said, now you listen to me. That's the most selfish thing I've ever heard. Well, I can tell you, as her son, I have been on the receiving end of some of those discussions. She said, you've got three kids. You've got another one on the way. You've got a wife. You fight. If not for yourself, you fight for them. He said, yes, ma'am. He said, after that, it wasn't really a decision to be made anymore. It had been made for me. <laughs> so he said, okay. And he said, man, I went through all this stuff. And he was telling me how they'd strap your head down and all this. And he was just explaining to me the whole process and the chemo and the radiation. And he said, I got in the middle of that. And he said, I had no appetite for food. The thought of food was the furthest thing from my mind. He said, I went three weeks and would not eat anything. He said, I couldn't even stand the thought of it. 
And they took me in there and they said, look, you've got to eat something. If you drink milkshakes every day, you've got to do something. You've got to put something in your body to build these cells back that we're destroying through chemo. You've got to eat. He said, I can't eat. They said, you've got to eat. He goes, I don't want to eat. They said, you're either going to eat or we're going to put you in this hospital and hook an IV up to you and feed you or we're going to have to go in and surgically put what they call a button, which is a term, slang term for it, but it is basically a, a feeding tube that they put in your stomach. They go in through here and they pop and, then, and they feed and they feed. And that's exactly what he had to end up doing because he said, I didn't care about food. I didn't want to eat. I didn't care anything about eating. And they had to put this thing and there he had to eat through this tube because his throat was fried from radiation and chemo. But he said, you know what? He said, I went back to the doctor a couple of uh, months ago and he said, the doctor told me the same guy that sat there and crossed his arms and said 30% mortality rate. He said, he looked me all over and he said, you know what, preacher? You may die of something else, but you're not going to die of this because it's not there anymore. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! He said, I'm fully recovered. I know I'm fully recovered. Because when I go in to the restaurant, I'm like, give me a double cheeseburger. Hallelujah. <laughs> First thing that has to happen when you come to the Lord is you got to have a desire. You can't force somebody to want God. What are we going to do? Put a spiritual feeding tube in them? There's got to be a desire to serve God. You've got to want to serve God. I've never believed in presenting the gospel as something that, you know, is mandated whether you want to serve God or not. You're gonna, I'm going to tell you what, this thing is based on loving God and turning aside from serving the world and saying, God, I want you more than I want my necessary food. That's what Paul said. In him we live and move and have our being. you got to have desire. But if you've got desire, ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you that God can do anything. He can move any mountain if you desire Him. Nobody can give you desire. Not your friends. Not your spouse. Not your parents. Not your grandpappy. Nobody can give you desire. You have to have a want. Now, we look around this world. We think that the world is getting so far away from God that there's nobody that wants God anymore, that there is a spiritual famine in the land. I've come to tell you today, never fear. God is creating an appetite. And if you don't eat on your own, spiritually speaking, then sometimes everything else has to dry up around you so that you can get your want back. I believe we're going into unprecedented revival because everything else is coming down, but the church is going up. Woo! Hallelujah! Ladies and gentlemen, this is not the day to be discouraged. This is not the day to be depressed or downhearted. This is the day to lift up your heads, oh your gates. Your redemption draweth out. This is the day to say God is great and greatly to be praised. This is the day to say I want more of God now than I did before. I want more of Him this year than I did last year. But it is our human nature for want to decrease 
blessings increase. It's just human nature. As the blessings increase, the hunger or the want or the desire decreases. And the challenge for all of us as oneness apostolic Pentecostals is how do we keep our want, our appetite for the things of God in every situation? Because after you get your want, you have to make the right decisions on how you satisfy the want. I have no problem wanting food. They don't have to hook me up to anything to help me to love chicken parmesan and spaghetti. I want it right now as I'm thinking about it. I can want in the morning. I can want at noon. I can want in the middle of the night. The problem for me is to want the right thing. I had people tell me, boy, once you start eating right, you'll have a craving for it. You'll get addicted to it. I don't think so. I've been trying. I never have been able to develop a craving for broccoli. I must have a lot of willpower. People say, you get so addicted to it. I've never been able to get that kind of addiction. Well, once you eat it enough, you'll develop a craving for it. Well, I, I can tell you right now, I can stop at any moment. <laughs> Someone goes out to eat with me and they order a salad. I keep wondering, when's the rest of their food going to come? <laughs> to me, a salad is just to keep you in the seat to tell you real food's coming very shortly. <laughs> it's just a promissory note. I'm the real stuff. Somebody said, I'm just going to eat a salad. Salads come with something. They weren't meant to be there all by themselves. There's a steak back there behind that door that's just fixing to bust through. And so I'm giving you a salad to keep you encouraged. If you just serve a salad and you don't have nothing following it, that's just false advertisement. <laughs> I have the want, but how do I turn my want into the right decision? Now watch what this young man begins. He began to want. Okay, so that's the right thing. He began to want. The appetite is starting. But now watch what happened next. Verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Man. Big fat pizza with pepperoni and sausage late at night. He started to want, but then he tried to satisfy the want by joining himself to a citizen of that country, thinking that he could have what he needed by making an alliance with the wrong people in the wrong place. Let me tell you something, folks. You will never be able to satisfy a supernatural need with a natural cause. You will never find anything in this world that's going to satisfy the longing of your soul. There's not a drug strong enough. There's not a drink strong enough. There's 
not a relationship in this world that will fill the void. That you had to be right with God. That want that he had was to drive him back to his father's house. But instead he joined himself to a citizen of that country. He got desire but he didn't have direction. There's a lot of people that have desire but they don't have direction. Why do you think so many people go to palm readers or carry crystals in their pockets or join cults? They have desire but they join the wrong company. Once you have desire you got to get direction. Once you get the want, you got to find the right way. The wrong way is to try and to find a solution that is of man's doings rather than to go back to your father who created you, who gave you the gift of life, who waits every day for you to return home. You're not going to find what you need by joining some ungodly alliance. A citizen of that country. That country is not your country. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm not going to find what I need by making alliances that are of this world. That's of this flesh. I got to get back to my father. I got to get down on my knees. I got to get back to the one that saved me. The problem with this young man was not that he was out of money. The problem was that he was out from under his father's covering. He had a spiritual problem, but he tried to solve it by being friends with a stranger. The needs that you and I have, the wants that you and I have, the desires that we have, even in our own lives for relationship and intimacy, is only going to be filled when we get right with God. And the void that we have in our life, and all of us have voids. It's not the result of the loss of a natural relationship. It is God calling you to a relationship with Him. This joining, this allegiance, this agreement that this young man entered into with his citizen, this unnamed citizen, look what it brought about. If you put verse 15 back up, it says this, when he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him, this is his alliance with this citizen of the country. He sent him into his fields to feed swine. The result of this alliance is that this man who has an inheritance, who has an identity, who is highly favored by his father, but because of this alliance that he's joined, he ends up feeding swine. There was no lower job. There is nothing more unclean in the Bible days than swine. In the Old Testament, the Jews were forbidden to eat pork because of how unclean these animals were. And the process of sanitizing this meat was much different than today. And so God created these creatures, but he knew how unclean they were. And at one point, God gave, cast devils out of a man and gave them permission to go into the pigs. Pigs ran off a cliff and died. 
Even pigs are smart enough to know when a devil gets on you. You need to change directions. Jesus was taking out two birds with one stone, cleansing a man and judging a sin. But the swine represented the very lowest of our flesh. The very nature of uncleanness. The very opposite of being clean. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Holy Ghost represents the pure nature of God, then swine represents the unclean nature of our flesh. And when you join yourself with citizens of this country, folks who are only living by the impulse of their flesh, whatever feels good, do it. Then you end up just feeding the swine. You end up just trying to satisfy the flesh. This young man, he needed to be fed. He needed to eat. But instead of him being fed, he was feeding the swine. Spiritual hunger that people feel is oftentimes substituted by feeding the flesh. The drugs, the drink, the immorality. They end up feeding the swine. Because if you hang out with the wrong people, you'll do things you never thought you would do. I read a study that they did on what contributed to the first time that a person takes drugs. Because everybody knows drugs is bad for you. They did a study of all, I don't know what it was, 10,000 people or something. And they did a study. What was it that caused a person to take a drug for the very first time? Here's what they found. Over 80% was because of a friend that they were with or the group that they were with. They just went to a party. Never was intending to do it. But everybody was doing it. Had a friend that they trusted to say, it's not that bad. You ought to try it. A friend or a party or, or something that we just wanted to be accepted. Never was intended to do it. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Every day that I live, I'm so thankful that I grew up in a church and I learned about a God at an early age. That said, you're better than this. You weren't created just to feed the swine. You weren't created just to run another drug in your veins. You were created in the image of God. You were created with a divine purpose to reflect His glory and His love. Somebody needs to be like Daniel. When Belshazzar offered him the position of vice president of Babylon, the most powerful nation in the world, he said to them, you can keep your ring. You can keep your royal robe. You can keep all your accolades. What appears to be power and prestige. Because tonight... Your kingdom will be taken from you. 
I refuse to join a citizen of this country when this land is in famine. I'm preaching to this church today. This is not the time to join alliance with a world that's coming down. This is the time to back up and say, I'm going to the Father's house. I've got a heavenly Father who loves me. Stand to your feet all over this building. I ask you today, why join a sinking ship? All you'll end up doing is feeding the swine. It will not satisfy anything. You've got the want. That's a blessing. But now you've got to use the want to drive you back to your Father, your created, your Savior. Verse 16 tells us, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. He would try to eat literally what the pigs would discard. That's how far sin will take you. He tried to eat literally what they left. That's what sin does. People literally lose their kids, their families, spouses, jobs, self-respect. Everything to feed an addiction. Throw everything away when what you need is to be fed. But instead, you feed the swine, thinking somehow you can get the remnants of what's left over. But thank God the story does not end there. Because in verse 17 says, And when he came to himself, You ought to thank God every day that you still got a right mind to come to a house of God on a Sunday. There would have been a lot of other things you could have done today, but you said, I'm going to go to church. He came to himself. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? That hunger caused him to come to himself. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what every one of us has to do. God gives us all a spiritual appetite. But what are we going to do with that longing that we have? What are we going to do with that hunger that every human has in his heart? This pig food will not satisfy the longing of your soul. The cheap substitutes of the flesh will never fill the void. It only creates a bigger gap. Maybe the want will cause us to search a little bit deeper. I believe if you have the want, you can find the way. Because the path between the want and the way is the word. You get hungry for the Word of God. And you say, I'll follow the Word, whatever it says. I don't believe you. I don't even believe you'd be here today if you didn't have the want. What a blessing that is. Now, how do we return to the Father? How do we return to a place of repentance? Let me give you the right direction this morning. First of all, you've got to separate yourself from the strangers of God. You've got to separate yourself from ungodly alliances that's dragging you down. 
You've got to come up out of that pigsty of sin. You've got to get up. You've got to remember your true identity. You belong in the Father's house. I feel like saying it again today. You belong in the Father's house. Why should we here and perish? You belong in the Father's house. You say, how do I get back to Him? You come to an altar and you lift your hands and your heart and your voice unto God and you say, Lord, I will bless your name at all times. Forgive me of every sin. Forgive me of riotous living. Forgive me of wrong choices. Forgive me of bad decisions. I need you. Oh, God, I need you. The Bible says that as you repent of your sins, he will give you a gift. Once again, he's a God of gifts. He will give you a gift of his spirit. What an incredible God who would take his spirit, his Holy Spirit, and put it inside of these carcasses, put it inside of these containers of flesh. But it's the same thing the prodigal received when he got back to his father because when he got back there his father put a robe around him <laughs> he said here's your identity back you were never meant to be in the pigsty you were never meant to feed the swine you've got an inheritance you've got an identity and he clothed him I've come to tell somebody in this building today, your heavenly Father wants to clothe you with His Spirit. Say, how do I receive it? You just got to step out from where you're standing and come down this aisle. Say, here I come. I'm coming to you, God. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to solve it with man's ingenuity. I've tried to use my own thinking. I've tried to use my own relationships. But I'm just coming to you today, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that there's still a hunger. I thank you that there's still a desire. I'm coming. Oh, look at this beautiful. Come on, take somebody by the hand right now. Here we go. We're going to the Father's house. You've got a Heavenly Father who's watching and waiting. He's got His hands outstretched. He's not far off. He's not beyond the Milky Way. He's not in some ivory tower. He's not unmoved. He's as close as the very mention of His name. If we draw nigh to Him. As beautiful people are coming, come on, press your way down. Come on, there's more. There's room for more. Make your way down. I've got a desire. Come on, I'm going to get my deliverance. I've got the want. I'm going to find my way. I've got the desire. That's it, everybody in the building. Lift up your hands right now and say, God, forgive me of every sin, every thought, every wrong decision, every wrong action, every wrong alliance. Forgive me, O oh Lord, and cleanse my heart, cleanse my hands, cleanse my feet, cleanse my mind, O oh God. Wash me as white as stone from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. 
That's it, pray. With your own words. With your own words. Here I come, Heavenly Father. I'm coming back to you, God. I'm coming back to you, God. I give everything to you, Lord. Here I am, God, with my bruises. Here I am, God, with my scars. In the name of Jesus.